Um, I trust that while we were in our small groups, we were able to just look into the book of Ephesians and just get a bit of an understanding about it. Um, As we saw, it was a letter written by the Apostle Paul while he was in prison. And it was written to the saints that are in Ephesus, the believers of the early church who, as it says in chapter 1, verse 1, faithful in Christ Jesus. And before we look at today's passage, we're just going to take a brief look at the book of Ephesians as a whole, spending some time understanding what was going on at that time and why this letter was written. So first, Ephesus. The city of Ephesus, an ancient city in Asia Minor, which is now known as modern-day Turkey. It was close to the major seaport, which meant it was a wealthy, very prominent and thriving city with a large trade center. It had the largest population city-wise, and it was the capital of the eastern part of the Roman Empire. But amongst all this busyness, all this wealth and prosperity, evil was very prevalent. The occult was huge. Magic and sorcery, violent riots, Gnosticism, false preaching that was infiltrating the churches. Massive idolatry. In fact, Ephesus was was the epicenter for Greek and Roman gods, and these were very, very important in their daily life. The enormous temple of Diana, also known as Artemis, was erected there. It was known as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Artemis was the fertility goddess that was worshipped with immoral sex. It was here in this corrupt city in Ephesus where Paul landed on his third missionary journey. He spent two years working there, teaching and preaching in in, um, the scriptures, in synagogues, and in schools. And we can read in Acts 19 that this continued until everyone heard the word. Everyone. Jews, Gentiles, even those who worshipped other gods. When Jews wouldn't listen, Paul went and preached to the Gentiles. It was here in Ephesus where the thriving church is born. So this is Ephesus. And Paul stayed there for three years, encouraging the believers and strengthening the churches. And then he moved on, continuing his journey. He went to Jerusalem, then he went to Rome, and then he ended up in jail. Paul was jailed because the Jews accused him of teaching against their laws. So it's now when Paul, who is imprisoned by the Romans, writes a letter to the churches in Ephesus. But why? Why did he feel compelled that he needed to write them a letter? He's in jail. He could have just been down on his knees praying for them in his cell. But no, he decides to reach out and write to them. And he got a friend, Tychicus, a trusted messenger and faithful servant to deliver the letter to them. Over the next few months, we will open up this letter and we'll see what he so wanted to share with them. But as we study it, we'll see that not only is this a letter for Ephesus, the church is in Ephesus, it's a letter for all churches. It's a letter for Maple Avenue and it's a letter for us. Ephesians has six chapters broken down into three parts. I've written it up up here on the whiteboard. Chapters 1 to 3, we'll see that Paul explores the gospel. He spells it all out to them. This is the gospel. 
It's not that the believers in the churches of Ephesus didn't know what the gospel was. They were a thriving church who were in Christ. It's just that he wanted to remind them of the good news of what God has done in Christ, the spiritual blessings they have in Christ, how they've been saved by grace through faith, who they are in Christ, and for them to know the love that Christ has for all people, Jews and Gentiles. Paul says to them in chapter 3, verse 13, So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. He was in prison, suffering, yet he told them not to lose heart, not to be discouraged or give up, something that could be so easy for them to do considering the circumstances of Paul's life. He was arrested, imprisoned, but instead look to be steadfast in the Lord. Paul was in prison because of his faith in Christ, yet the gospel continued to go forward and many more came to faith. Do not lose heart. God has a plan. Again, it's not only for the churches in Ephesus. Chapters 1 to 3 are an encouragement for us. Do we give up in trials and difficulties? Things aren't going in the direction we want or the way we thought they would go. We struggle or experience hardships because of sickness, difficult family relationships, temptations, We try to run for them or deny that they're even happening, pretending that everything is perfect in our life. God is using each and every one of us in his own way with his plan through our struggles, through our complex lives, through our challenges and through our weariness. He is using us for his service, for his glory. So ladies, don't give up. Don't lose heart. Look at who we are in Christ and what we have in him because of the riches of his amazing love and grace. The second section, chapters 4 to 6a, Paul gives practical ways how the believers in the Ephesus church should live by what they know, how to live in light of all of God's blessings. He bridges chapter 3 and chapter 4 with one word, therefore. Because you are in Christ, because of who you are, because of what Christ has done for you and what he has given you and what he has promised you, therefore, this is how you should live. In unity, building each other up. Chapter 4, verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Paul will compare their old life, their old way of living, to their new life, a new way of living. Chapter 4, verse 29, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Chapter 4, verse 32, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Paul will then go on to instruct wives and husbands, children and parents, bond servants and masters, outlining their responsibilities and actions, their submission, just as Christ does for the church. So how's our talk? How's our walk? Do we bear with one another? Can we stand each other? Are we building each other up or are we tearing each other down? This is real life. And we might be struggling in one or more of these areas, but God is here for us. 
By God's grace, he's ready to hear about our struggles, to forgive, and to help us through it all. Struggles with every part of our life, in our jobs, in our neighborhoods, in our families, and in our church life. Paul reminds us to walk in love. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We are to imitate God, to be Christ-like, walking in love. Take off your old self, put on your new self, growing and maturing as followers of Christ. The final section, chapter 6b, which is the latter part of chapter 6, the armor of God, this is how to fight. Paul speaks on the spiritual warfare that the church in Ephesus will come up against, hardships that they will face, racism, inequality, oppression, persecution, false teaching coming in amongst them in the churches. It was all around them. And these are similar challenges and hardships that we may and do face in our broken world. But we're encouraged as them to fight the battle. The dark evil forces in this world, resisting them by standing firm in the victory of Jesus on the cross, standing firm by keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, standing firm by spending time in his word and in prayer. So don't lose heart. Stand firm. We have a gracious God who has given us so many treasures in Christ. We have a gracious God who is working in us to make us more like Christ in our walk, in our talk, in all we do and say. We have a gracious God who guards us because we can't fight in our own strength. So that was a quick summary of the book of Ephesians. And if you want to flip back now to chapter 1, And we'll um, go back to the beginning and we'll look through chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. It was already read to us by Heather. Um, So before we begin, let me just pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to meet this fall, a room full of women eager to read and study your word together. And so we ask now that as we do so, that you may speak to us. May you provide me your strength and encouragement and wisdom, and may all this be done to your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So as we look at today's passage, we're going to break it up into two sections. The first one, a short section, verses 1 and 2, a greeting to the people. The second section, the longer section, verses 3 to 14, praises to God for the blessings in Christ. In fact, that second section in the Greek text, it was one long sentence. No punctuation like we have in our Bibles, no stopping. Paul was just so excited. He was going on praising God from one thing to another without taking time to breathe. Heather, can you try that next time you read it? (laughs) Verses 1 and 2. Paul starts off his letter with a greeting. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he starts off. He tells us who he is, who the letter is for. He's an apostle, meaning he has seen the risen Christ and he was sent out. He was sent out with a mission by the will of God. He was specifically chosen by God, not by man, 
for a specific purpose. The recipients of the letter are the saints in Ephesus, the faithful ones in Christ, believers in Christ. He says, grace and peace to you, not from him, Paul, but may God favor you. This grace is flowing from God through Jesus Christ. He alone is the one who provides grace and peace. And this word grace, as you'll see, it's not only found on the front cover of our our study guide, but this word will be repeated over and over again throughout the book of Ephesians. As we move on to the next section, Paul expresses praises to God for the blessings in Christ. Blessings. Hashtag blessed. We see it everywhere. We see it on wall decor, on Instagram, on t-shirts, and yes, I am a lucky one who has a t-shirt that says hashtag blessed. A sweet friend gave this to me a number of years ago. No, I haven't worn it. <laughs> um, and, you know, like if you really think about it, what, why are we blessed? What are we blessed with? Um, if we go around people, pe- to people and say, how are you blessed? You know, what, what blessing do you, do you have in your life? And if I was to wear that shirt and someone came up to me and said, you know, blessed, hashtag blessed, what are you blessed for? What are you blessed with? Some of the things I could probably say is, you know, I have a home, I have food on the table, I have clothes to wear, I have friends, family, you know, there's all these endless things that we could say. If you think about Thanksgiving's coming up and um, sometimes the awkward thing around the table to do is, you know, talk about what you're grateful for or blessed. Like sometimes it could be a wonderful time, but other times it's like, oh, what do I think? You know, what do I, what do I say I'm blessed with or for? So I thought I'd Google some reasons why people feel blessed. Um, there were some great ideas, but then these ones, um, they actually made a the list. There's only six of them. I could go on with more, but why people feel blessed. Number one, Wi-Fi. Number, yeah, number two, deodorant. Number three, indoor plumbing. Duct tape. Spell check. And my all-time favorite, bacon. Bacon made the list. So yes, most of these things are wonderful, and yes, some are blessings, but Paul wanted us to see that there's more. There's more than maple-flavored bacon. He wants us to see and know and remember the blessings that we have in Christ, the spiritual blessings that God has blessed us with. So hashtag blessings are now hashtag spiritual blessings. Paul is praising God for what God has done in Christ for the spiritual blessings we have in Christ. And I don't know if you noticed, but when you read your passage, how many times in Christ has been repeated. If we just look at our Bibles, um, we'll see in verse, um, verse 3, who has blessed us in Christ. Verse 4, even as he chose us in him. Verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace, which with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Verse 7, in him we have redemption. Verse 9, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. Verse 10, to unite all things in him. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance. Verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And verse 13, in him you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So if we are in Christ, we are richly blessed. But what are we blessed with? More than a roof over our head, more than a great education, more than good health, more than a good marriage. 
Here Paul praises God for the spiritual blessings we have received in Christ. One big, long, excited sentence from 3 to 14, praising God and reminding the church that we are chosen, we are adopted, we are redeemed, forgiven, we have been revealed with the mystery of his will, we have an eternal inheritance, and we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Since the beginning, before the world was created, God chose us in him. We are chosen for a purpose, and that purpose is to live holy and blameless lives. We are blessed because we are, we are blessed to be chosen. He chose us calling us out of death to life and to spend eternity with him. It was his plan all along, his sovereign, all-knowing plan, and it reveals his love and saving grace. We are blessed to be redeemed. In him, we have redemption through his blood. We are bought by the precious blood of Jesus. Salvation came at a great cost. The cost was the death of Jesus Christ. All in God's perfect timing. God who loved us at the right time and God who delivered us through grace at the right time. We are blessed to be forgiven. When we live in Christ, we are no longer in the bondage of sin. We see in verses 7 and 8 that this work was done in the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. Lavished means to give generously. He just doesn't sprinkle a little bit of grace here or there. No, he showers us. He pours his grace upon us. We are blessed to be given wisdom and understanding of his will. God's plan and purpose that was since the beginning of time, it was once hidden. But now it's revealed to us in Jesus. His plan of salvation his plan for eternity, that by grace, by the cross of Christ, we are saved, and it's for all people, not only for the Jews, but for the Gentiles too. And then this is now something that has been made known to them, to us, and that we can now understand. Paul also praises God for we are blessed because we have an eternal inheritance. Yes, the Jews were the first to accept the gospel and receive this inheritance, but most of them rejected Jesus. The gospel was then spread to the Gentiles, and in verse 13, we now see that they share in the same inheritance. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Church family, Paul tells them, you are a child of God. You are adopted into his family. You now have an inheritance. What is his is now yours. And as a result of their faith, those in Christ are sealed with the Holy Spirit. When something was sealed, it was a mark or evidence that something got closed up, completed, or purchased. A letter or a boxed good, it now belonged to someone. It would be sealed with wax and then um, an imprint, um, an object or a ring would go into that wax and would be pressed into it. The Holy Spirit is a seal. It's a mark. It's evidence that we belong to God. 
the Holy Spirit is renewing and sanctifying us, guaranteeing future life, our future inheritance with God. But Paul makes sure that they know that all these blessings, whether being chosen, redeemed, forgiven, being given the Holy Spirit, these are only possible by doing one thing, giving God all the praise and glory. Look at verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 12, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. And verse 14, the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. We exist for God's glory and to bring him glory. God loves and he values us. He chose us but he also has given us a choice to make. We can reject him, hardening our hearts to the grace being offered and walking in our selfish ways, or we can trust him, have faith in him. We have a choice to believe and to turn from our sins and confess, to believe that Jesus died for us and was raised again and that we will spend eternity with him being adopted into his family heirs with Jesus forever. If we are his children, we are in Christ. We are saved by grace through faith. And as he works in and through us, look at and remember all that he has given us lavishly, in abundance, for the praise of his glory. We are hashtag spiritually blessed. So ladies, let's give him the praise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for how you have blessed us, for the riches of your grace, for your plan for choosing us, adopting us into your family, for redeeming us and forgiving us, for providing the Holy Spirit who not only seals our relationship with you so that we can inherit all the blessings in Christ, but who also sanctifies us by working in and through us. May we continually praise you. May you be glorified in and through our lives. And now as we go back into our small groups, may you be with us as we discuss this lesson and as we apply this passage to our own hearts and lives. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.